Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. For more than 35 years, we at the Cancer Support Community have been a relentless ally for anyone impacted by cancer. We help individuals manage the realities of this disruptive disease and try to get back to normal, whether accessing our free services in person at one of our 175 locations, online or over our toll-free helpline. You're getting a team of licensed professionals providing patient navigation, financial counseling, genetic counseling, pediatric support, and more. In thinking about the show today, I, I remembered a quote from Maya Angelou. She said, words mean more than what is set down on paper. It takes the human voice to infuse them with deeper meaning. But what if your voice is changing? maybe even permanently as a result of a cancer diagnosis? What if, what if you fear that you will no longer be able to give that deeper meaning to words and emotions? Today, we're going to take a close look at laryngeal cancer or cancer of the larynx, which impacts the voice box. And while it's true that much will change, there's also a lot to be hopeful about. This is a very complex cancer, and we have three fantastic guests to help us examine different aspects of treating and living with this cancer. First, let me welcome Dr. Michael Moore. He is the Arilla Spence-Devault Professor of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery, and the Vice Chair of Academic Affairs at Indiana University. He also serves as the Medical Director of the Indiana, Indiana University Health, Joe and Shelley Schwartz Cancer Center in Northern Indianapolis. He is clinically active as a head and neck cancer and reconstructive surgeon and has an academic interest in head and neck cancer awareness and prevention with a particular focus on HPV vaccination initiatives. He's acting chair of the Cancer Prevention Committee of the American Head and Neck Society and is president of the Board of Head and Neck Cancer Alliance, a not-for-profit focused on head and neck cancer awareness and support of those affected by the disease. Dr. Moore, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, our next guest is Kristen Beadle. Kristen is the Assistant Director for Speech Pathology at Long Island Jewish Medical Center, Hearing and Speech in New York. She specializes in the treatment of patients with head and neck cancer and has held several lectures on rehabilitation for laryngectomy patients. Kristen has published in the Curious Journal of Medical Science on the topic of head and neck cancer and also taught graduate-level courses at Adelphi University, Long Island City, and CW Post Campus. Kristen holds the Certificate of Clinical Competence from the American Speech-Language Hearing Association and is a member of their special interest group 13. She's also a certified lymphedema therapist. Kristen is a board member of the Hearing and Speech Society and co-director of the Hearing and Speech Laryngectomy Support Group. Thanks for being with us, Kristen. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. And lastly, I'm pleased to have with us Terry O'Brien, who was diagnosed with stage 3 squamous cell carcinoma of the larynx in early 2015. His treatment included 35 radiation treatments, a laryngectomy. It's a procedure in which the voice box is removed and reconstructive surgeries. Terry uses tracheoesophageal puncture, known as TEP, to talk. Now, almost five years later, he functions independently without assistance. Terry has been managed, ma married to Jennifer O'Brien for 25 years, wow, and has three daughters, ages 47, 31, and 22. Thank you for joining us, Terry. I'm particularly glad to be here. Outstanding, outstanding. Before uh, diving into our conversation about laryngeal cancer or cancer of the larynx, Let's first take a step back. Dr. Moore, let me start with you. Laryngeal cancer is one type of a group of cancers called head and neck cancers. Can you give us a brief overview of what head and neck cancer is? Sure. Uh, you know, essentially, head and neck cancer is any cancer that starts above the collarbone but doesn't arise from the brain or the spinal cord or the eyes. I think for the purposes of what we're talking about today, 
It would be cancers that arise from the lining of the inside of the nose, mouth, or throat. Um, but you can't have uh, cancers of the saliva glands on either side or thyroid cancer, which, as well as cancers of the skin itself. So, so let's let's dig in a little deeper there. So, I, I, you know, when we talk about sort of collarbone up, I could see many people assuming that brain cancer, throat cancer, would be part of that group, but they, but, but they are not. So, just break that down for us a little bit more, Doctor Moore. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, I think it's a commonly asked question. You know, the brain is close uh, to a lot of these other structures, but in reality. You know, uh, brain tumors and uh, nervous system tumors are managed very differently and present uh, completely differently. Um, head and neck cancers and throat cancers really, uh, the vast majority will arise from the lining of the mouth and the throat. Um, they have a number of kind of common risk factors such as, you know, smoking and alcohol use, but uh, there's an emerging uh, type of them that are related to the HPV virus, uh, which uh, it can happen in people who don't have any history of any tobacco or alcohol. And to be honest, there are some tumors that even just develop spontaneously. But uh, in reality, brain tumors are kind of a completely separate entity. They're managed more by neurosurgeons and neuro-oncologists, whereas head and neck cancers are managed by either head and neck surgeons, either with or without, you know, working with radiation and medical oncologists. Um, and um, can you just tell our listeners what the HPV virus is and the link between these cancers? Sure. Yeah, H- the HPV virus is a very common virus. Uh, it's actually the most common sexually transmitted disease in America. Um, and the vast majority of uh, U.S. adults will have been exposed at some point in their lifetime. It causes uh, a large group of cancers in the back of the throat, in the back of the tongue, and the tonsils. So not as frequently in the larynx itself, um, but it can set up with a persistent infection, either the tonsils or the base of tongue. Those patients frequently will present with a neck mass, usually representative of a lymph node, cancer within a lymph node within the neck, or uh, some symptoms related to the primary tumor. But those are a bit different in their behavior than laryngeal mm-hmm. cancers. And just very quickly, Dr. Moore, this is, a, this is a virus for which there is now a vaccine, correct? That's correct. And, uh, yeah, as you mentioned in the introduction, I'm, it's a big interest of mine just in that. I think yes. it's a rare opportunity we have to prevent, truly prevent uh, the infection that can cause cancer. And it's now a vaccine that's indicated in both boys and girls. Um, the typical age range is recommended between 10 and 11 with the goal of imparting immunity before exposure uh, and also when you have a very robust immune response. But the indication goes all the way up. Uh, you know, their FDA has approved it even up to age 45, but the goal is to do it much earlier on, more in your adolescent years. Good, good. I can't, I, I can't help Dr. Moore but do a public service announcement about a, about a cancer prevention vaccine in, this, uh, in the conversation, so thank you for indulging me on that. Um, Kristen, Absolutely. I know um, a lot of your work focuses on making sure patients understand how these impacted parts of their bodies work. So what do you tell them about the larynx and the role it plays? Uh, so um, it's very important that patients who are diagnosed with laryngeal cancer do have an understanding of what the larynx does. So we do discuss anatomy. I'll use models and illustrations um, so that they can understand what the larynx looks like. Um, and I'll talk to them and let them know that this is where the vocal cords are located. And with respect to the function of the larynx, um, we want patients to know that not only is this the area where voice is produced, um, the larynx also helps us breathe, and it also protects our airway when we're swallowing so that food, liquid, and even saliva uh, do not go into the lungs because that can create illnesses and other uh, breathing issues. Um, Terry, let me bring you into the conversation here. Um, Terry, I know as a singer, you must have been very aware of your voice and the sounds that it could produce. So what symptoms were you experiencing that made you think that something could be wrong or that sent you to the doctor? Well, it evolved rather slowly. At first, my upper range became weak. That lasted for a few months. I sang real soft songs for Mike, Tony Bennett, and then uh, more screaming songs like Neil Diamond. I began to notice that my voice simply was not as strong and was clearly growing weaker. There was no real pain. Um, I've always been a, a hale and hearty kind of guy. Four mm-hmm. years in the Navy, 
Got it. Got it. Understood. Understood. So, so Dr. Moore, we've got a couple minutes until our uh, first break coming up here, but um, we heard what Terry said, really, so, you know, some issues with the voice and, and as a singer, maybe even more prevalent or prominent. So just tell us, Dr. Moore, are those typical symptoms uh, of, of uh, laryngeal cancer and um, what other symptoms might people experience? Yeah, they certainly are, especially when the cancer starts on the vocal cord itself, uh, and those can sometimes be a sign very early on in the disease. Um, there are other parts of the voice box that aren't uh, right on the vocal cord, and so tumors can grow in those areas and cause things like persistent throat pain, especially when you have throat pain that's lasting longer than a couple weeks and on just one side. And if you have, a lot of times people also get referred pain to their ear, and that's actually from the throat, but it's just the way the nerves are wired within the head and neck, you can get a lot of referred pain. For larger tumors, you may get issues with either breathing trouble or more frequently even swallowing difficulty. Uh, and sometimes people actually almost get a muffled voice as the tumors can get quite large and almost get in the, in the breathing passage, making it so their voice is muffled and it's more difficult to breathe especially more difficult to breathe when they're lying flat. So Terry talked about his, uh, Dr. Moore, his uh, 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 just sort of complaining about it at a routine visit with the primary care doctor. Is that, um, is that typically how it happens? Would, would folks maybe go to a primary care doctor first? Would it be something that a, that a dentist could, could see or, or look at? Or how, how is it usually, you know, first noticed? No, I think that's a pretty common scenario is persistent hoarseness. It's just not getting better. A lot of times they'll try management with like a reflux medicine or something like that. But especially if somebody has a history of any tobacco use or persistent hoarseness that's just not getting better for a number of weeks, that would be a telltale sign of wanting to get it assessed. The voice box you can't really see just looking directly in the mouth without some special mirrors. And so having the person assessed by an ear, nose, and throat doctor is typically the way to go because then they can get a good look at the voice box itself with a little fiber optic telescope they sneak through their nose that I imagine Terry may have a little experience with from his uh, office mm-hmm. visit. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> a little, yes. Uh, you have become an expert, Terry, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we're coming up on our break here. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're, uh, we're talking today uh, about laryngeal cancer. It's a complicated cancer, complicated uh, diagnosis, and uh, sometimes a little bit difficult maybe to find, to diagnose, and, and uh, can certainly uh, affect, uh, affect someone's life. We've got some terrific experts with us today, Dr. Michael Moore, Kristen uh, Beadle and Terry O'Brien. Um, we've got a lot more to discuss with these uh, three guests, a lot more to learn about this cancer. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. 
This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you by Bristol-Myers Squibb. I'm your host, Kim Thibodeau. Today, we are talking about laryngeal cancer or cancer of the larynx, one of five types of head and neck cancer. We have three fantastic guests with us today. Dr. Michael Moore is the Arilla Spence Deval Professor of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery, and the Vice Chair of Academic Affairs at Indiana University. He also serves as the Medical Director of the Indiana University Health Joe and Shelley Schwartz Cancer Center in Northern Indianapolis. Kristen Beadle is the Assistant Director for Speech Pathology at Long Island Jewish Medical Center Hearing and Speech in New York. And Terry O'Brien was diagnosed with stage 3 squamous cell carcinoma of the larynx in early 2015. So one of the things that we at the Cancer Support Community advise all newly diagnosed people to do is know the stage of their cancer or their disease. It's a way of describing how far cancer has grown, what parts of the body it may or may not have spread to. My understanding, uh, Dr. Moore, is that laryngeal cancer is essentially divided into two categories, early and advanced. Can you tell us about the stages for this cancer and the difference from your perspective between early and advanced, what we need to know about that? So uh, almost all head and neck cancers are going to be broken down into staging based on three components of it. One is the primary tumor, which essentially in this case is a voice box tumor itself and how far advanced that is. A lot of that depends on kind of the location of where it is and the impact it has on the vocal cord motion. And then there's the Adam's apple cartilage and whether or not it's actually started to erode through the cartilage or outside of the voice box itself. We also take into account the lymph nodes. So has it spread to any of the lymph nodes within the neck? Um, that can happen, uh, not insignificant number of times. It happens more often with cancers in the top part of the voice box, uh, whereas the ones of the vocal cord, it's usually a bit later in those cancers that it might happen. And then if it's gone to other parts of the body, so somewhere outside of the head and neck, like the lungs, which would be the most common other site. And then based on those, all those different components, you can come up with what's called an overall stage, and that's one through four. Uh, and early stage tumors are stage one or two, uh, and advanced tumors are stage three or four. And any lymph node spread would automatically kick it up to age either a stage three or stage four. Uh, rare instances, Got you it. can have just a very advanced primary tumor, but no lymph node involvement and still be advanced stage, but the, a lot of the time the uh, advanced stage is representative of the lymph node metastasis. Got it. Very helpful, Dr. Moore. I also understand um, that the healthcare team that treats someone with cancer of the larynx is, a, is fairly large, sort of a, what we sometimes call a multidisciplinary team. Can you walk us through some of the specialists on the team, what they do, and when a patient maybe could expect to interact with different people along the pathway? Sure. Yeah, I would say head and neck cancer just as a whole is one of the more multidisciplinary um, uh, disease sites that we that you'll see. Uh, you know, we mentioned earlier the head and neck surgeon, uh, the um, radiation oncologist. Those are two of the providers that provide a lot of the cancer treatment along with the medical oncologist. Uh, obviously, Kristen, uh, as, as mentioned, her, her and her team's import, uh, critical role in rehabilitation of not just laryngeal cancer patients, but almost any uh, head and neck cancer patient uh, working with a um, speech and language pathology team is really crucial uh, to not only get rid of the cancer, but also to optimize function afterwards. But we work also very closely with pathologists, meaning you've got to make a good diagnosis to make sure it actually is cancer and you know how best to treat it. We work with radiologists who help us look at the scans. We work with dental professionals because people who get radiation can get a lot of problems with their teeth and need to be involved very closely with that. And then there uh, now an emerging uh, component of that is what's called nurse navigation, which is essentially uh, a point person that helps navigate through all these different care teams and all the different complicated doctor's visits that people have to go to and uh, provider visits, uh, and they can kind of help uh, the uh, patients kind of walk through that challenging journey. Very helpful, Dr. Moore. Thank you. Um, Kristen, I've got a lot of questions for you, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, let, let me start for now um, with just some basic education for me, for our audience. Um, can you tell us what a speech pathologist is, what a speech pathologist does generally, and then more specifically for patients with, with, uh, with laryngeal cancer? Yeah, sure. So a speech pathologist in general is a clinician that specializes in the evaluation 
and rehabilitation of patients that experience difficulty with communication, voice production, um, and or swallowing. Um, And this includes a variety of populations um, across the lifespan from infants to adults. Um, But specific to patients that have been diagnosed with laryngeal cancer, um, the speech pathologist is part of this patient's care really from the time of diagnosis. If the patient's treatment will include radiation, uh, the speech pathologist will help that patient determine the safest diet, the most efficient diet, um, to maintain and optimize their function throughout that treatment, and even provide exercises that can be done at that time and even after um, to address anything that has changed due to the treatment that they've received. Um, If a patient is receiving surgery or has had a laryngectomy, Again, the speech pathologist will be part of their care from the very beginning, um, supporting them with their needs and creating and and adjusting to their new voice, um, and as well as adjusting to their new diet and their new way of swallowing uh, due to changes in their anatomy. Um, So we are, you know, really involved in the patient's care very from the beginning. Outstanding, outstanding, um, Dr. Moore. In our in our uh, last uh, uh, portion of our segment here, I would just like to learn a little bit more about some of these medical questions, if you don't mind. Um, let's take uh, let's just look broadly at the the idea of treatment options. Let's start with um, goals of treatment. We always encourage our patients to ask, "What are the goals uh, of my treatment plan? What are the goals for early uh, stage uh, cancer or advanced laryngeal cancer? How do you t- t- discuss those goals with your patients?" Sure. I mean, I think with any cancer decision, you're looking at two main things. One is, uh, you know, getting rid of the cancer uh, and what would have to be done to give the best opportunity for that. And then what would be the, uh, you know, the amount of side effects that you would get from any approach that you might take. So I think my goal for my patients typically is to get them through uh, cancer-free but have the fewest long-term side effects. And Every person, that's a little bit different, you know, how much they're willing to go through in order to have, um, you know, better swallowing function, for example, or better voice function. And with uh, a complex organ like the voice box, there are a lot of decisions that come into that. Every person's a little different as far as their priorities. Everybody's occupation is different, their livelihood, things that they enjoy for fun. And so it's a, a really important conversation to have with them so you can determine what's the best treatment approach for them. Early cancers are usually managed with either surgery or with radiation. Uh, And what I mean by surgery, if it is like a stage one or stage two, it may be something that can actually be removed going in through the mouth with either a laser or a special robotic instrument to remove the tumor. And then potentially, depending on where it is, a separate surgery to take out some of the at-risk lymph nodes. Whereas if it's something, um, or doing just what's called external beam radiation, where they they use x-rays to treat the the tissue, and the idea is to damage the tissue and kill the tumor, but you do get some collateral damage to the surrounding normal tissue. More advanced tumors uh, usually are managed either with uh, non-surgically, as either with radiation and with chemotherapy, um, or with surgery. And the vast majority of the time for more advanced tumors, that surgery may involve a laryngectomy, as, as Terry has, has been through, uh, and oftentimes removing a lymph node, and then would also require some additional therapy afterwards, either radiation therapy or radiation with chemotherapy. So let's, uh, so let's break that, some of that down a little bit, uh, Dr. Moore. Um, explain, uh, I know that uh, laryngectomy, this procedure that Terry um, underwent, explain to, to the listeners what a laryngectomy is and, you know, what permanent changes uh, those patients may experience who have that um, procedure. Sure, uh, and I know Kristen alluded to this early uh, in the discussion, and, and I must admit I lean uh, heavily on my speech-language pathology team as well because I think it's very important for the patient to hear a lot of these things multiple times so they can really conceptualize it. And she brought up the, the idea of going through pictures and diagrams. That is very important uh, because when you're uh, doing something like a, a laryngectomy and the changes that they may uh, notice on the surface is really hard to conceptualize why why you're going through all that. Essentially, the voice box is the gatekeeper of what, when things go in our mouth and throat, what goes into the swallowing tube and what goes into the windpipe. And so when you take that out, you have to rebuild it in a way that's safe for people to swallow. You don't have that gatekeeper anymore. So if you took it out and didn't rebuild it, you would be at high risk for a lot of things going down into the lungs and give you pneumonia. And so 
when you take out the voice box, we repair the back of the throat in a way that is essentially the swallowing tube from that point forward. And then the windpipe is rotated out so that you create what's called a stoma or a circular hole in the lower part of the neck, and that's the new breathing passage. And when you look through that, it literally will go straight down to the lungs. If you look down far enough, you see a branch off one to each lung. And we'll go into this a little bit later with the speech rehabilitation, but in the back wall of that breathing hole is where the speech prosthesis is, and we'll go in a little bit later on how that works as far as regaining the voice function. Great, great. So we just have a little over a minute left here, Dr. Moore, but you talked about surgery, you talked about radiation, but some patients also get chemotherapy. Tell us about that. Sure, yeah. Chemotherapy is uh, basically a global term for any medicine that's given into your body that goes essentially throughout the entire body. Um, and it works by uh, through different mechanisms. The type that's most frequently used for head and neck cancer is what's called cisplatin. It in and of itself is not a cure for cancer, at least for this type of cancer. It's used more for two reasons. One, to potentiate the effects of radiation, so to make radiation more effective at killing the cancer. And then the other is the goal is to also circulate through the whole body to try and minimize the risk of getting what's called distant metastatic disease, meaning having it show up in the lungs or another part of the body if it's not there already. Um, there's a, a new agent called immunotherapy, which almost use your body's immune system to try and fight it. Uh, a lot of that's not on the first line of therapy and much more for recurrent cancers that come back that can't be uh, you know, removed from surgery or aren't candidates for other treatment. Got it. Thank you for that overview, Dr. Moore. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about laryngeal cancer today. We're learning a great deal. It's a complicated cancer treated by a multidisciplinary team. We've got some great experts uh, with us today who are sharing their perspective um, and including Terry, uh, who uh, is a cancer survivor. Uh, we are going to take a quick break here. We have a lot more to discuss with these three terrific guests. Um, this is frankly speaking about cancer. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, 
Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. Today's episode is brought to you by Bristol-Myers Squibb. We are so lucky to be joined today by Dr. Michael Moore, speech pathologist Kristen Beadle, and cancer survivor Terry O'Brien. Um, so, so, Terry, if you could share with us, what were some of your concerns before and during your treatment? Well, I was first given, uh, a, frankly, a great hope that radiation would resolve the problem. I did a fair amount of uh, research about radiation and treatments uh, before deciding which direction to go. So we decided on a particular place that had, you know, newer equipment. And, uh, I endured 35 daily sessions with weekends off. And then I wow. had another MRI, which revealed that there was still activity on my false focal cords uh, that indicated the presence of this squamous cell cancer and that I need a laryngectomy. Well, of course, you're sad. Uh, certainly that my singing would end. I was a PA by trade, but certainly the music was a big portion. My wife and I sang weekly for 20 years. She's a trained pianist and a fabulous singer. In fact, that's what she does for a living for our school district here in Kansas City. But I wondered how was this going to impact my working um, how long would I be in the hospital? What would life be like with a, uh, without a larynx? Was it reversible? Were there any other options? So uh, I reached out to Gildas and found that there was a local support group where Larry's called New Voice here in Kansas City. And I know you're aware of Gildas as a nonprofit uh, emotional and support community for people with cancer. It was named after Delta uh, Radner from Saturday Night Live, who died of ovarian cancer in 1989. Uh, subsequently, I've remained active in that group. And we have a subgroup that consists of myself as a TV speaker. We have an electro-voice user and an esophageal speaker. And we collectively meet with the SLP graduating students each year, and we also go out and, you know, we'll see people that are facing laryngectomy. So there's a lot to be concerned, a lot of questions. I bet, and what, a, what, a, what an amazing thing that you're a resource to those people, Terry. That's terrific. Um, just tell me, t- take another minute or two, Terry, to tell me about that experience of knowing, you know, having been a singer for all those years and knowing that you were no longer going to be able to do that. What was that like for you emotionally? Were you feeling, did you feel depressed? Were you scared about that? You know, did, were you worried about how it would affect your quality of life? Well, you're going to a, you're going to a group that's named after a comedian. So, um, have you been able to keep some of your sense of humor, Terry? What would your family tell? Oh my, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was uh, transported emergently uh, several times. I went septic and had accidents in the thirties, but I got to know the EMTs, and they would come. And even in my lethargy, I would say. I'm coming to your house at 3 o'clock in the morning, dressed in a helmet, you know, just <laughs> trying to keep it light. Yeah, good for you, Terry. Good for you. That's what keeps all of our our spirits up is that sense of humor. Um, Kristen, can you tell us uh, about the um, the procedure? It's referred to, I think, as tracheoesophageal puncture, TEP, that Terry underwent. Tell us about that. Okay, so a, a TEP um, is a prosthetic that is placed by the surgeon um, 
It goes between the wall and the trachea and the esophagus and allows the patient to speak. So when the patient occludes their stoma, the air from their lungs comes through the prosthesis. It allows the muscles in the esophagus to vibrate so that they can create sound um, and, and speak, you know, with, with a good sounding voice. Um, so the prosthetic can be placed at the initial surgery um, as a primary puncture, or it can be done secondary as a secondary puncture. Um, really, that's to the discretion of the surgeon, um, you know, on the patient's uh, reconstruction and on their anatomy. Um, but we, we work with the patients either uh, before surgery, um, just educating on what the prosthesis looks like, the maintenance that's involved in it, um, how it works, um, how to clean it, just even before they even have it placed so that they do understand what's involved um, in the care of the TEP um, once it is in, in place. Um, and then we work with the patients on coordinating their breathing um, in order to produce uh, audible speech um, so that their voice is loud enough to be heard. And then we also, our goal is to get to a point where they may be able to use a device where they don't have to use their hands and press on their stoma, um, which would be a hands-free device. So it allows yeah. the patient yeah. to get back to some normal normal functioning. Yeah, that's wonderful, Kristen. Um, and then we did hear earlier a speech pathologist is one of the specialists on that multidisciplinary team that a patient will meet prior to the laryngectomy. I, I, I can imagine, Kristen, that's got to be a tough appointment, a tough conversation, you know, knowing what's ahead. So what do you tell patients when they first come to you? What, how do you help them cope, um, you know, and how do you help them think about hope and, uh, you know, in the, in, in the midst of this challenging diagnosis? Yeah, it is. It's a lot of information for the patients to process um, in those initial phases especially, and I'm sure Terry could speak to that even more so than I can um, because there's a lot on their mind, just how are they going to get back to their functioning or their work or their family. Um, so we do just give them information and, and really provide them with support um, and letting them know that, that they have a team of people, um, not just speech pathologists, but the whole group, that whatever they need will be there through and through the whole time. Um, and we'll even have people meet patients um, that have gone through a laryngectomy so that they do see that there is some light at the end of the tunnel, um, that they are going to be able to get through, get through it. Um, and we do offer support groups, like Terry had mentioned, um, so that they do see that there is there is positives that will come out of what seems to be such a, a you know really devastating situation. So, at the end of that first appointment, when you're having that conversation, Kristen, what's the most important thing that the patient needs to know when when the point the appointment's done and they're walking out the door? What do you want them yeah. to take away from that appointment from from you? Yeah, I think they need to really understand that this is you know it is a life changing. Surgery um, it is lifelong, and they're they're going to be working with a different anatomy, um, but that there are ways to get back to doing the things that they enjoy, um, and that there are different uh, devices and different supplies that they can get that will help them achieve their goals. In addition to working with their professionals, that can also teach them techniques um, and different things that will help to optimize their function. And then, and then, when, where, how often do you see the patient? you know, through the, through, through the course of things. And what do those subsequent appointments and conversations look like? Right. So after their first uh, meeting with us prior to surgery, we will see them again as uh, post, uh, I'm sorry, in, in the hospital um, after, you know, their, their procedure has been completed. Um, and at that point, we're teaching them how to take care of their stoma, um, showing them different ways to keep their stoma clean, uh, different uh, heat moisture exchange, for example, is a cassette that goes on the stoma to keep their airway um, moist and clean so that they don't develop too much mucus. We teach them how to take care of their laryngectomy tube um, and making sure that they're comfortable with, you know, managing these supplies themselves. And then we'll start using things like an electrolarynx, which is an external device that gets placed on the neck uh, to create sound so they can start to communicate. Um, we'll also work on their swallowing because they're, they're eating and, and drinking may feel different after a laryngectomy. And then we see them again in typically with the surgeon at their post-op visit. Um, at that point, if everything has healed and they're, you know, moving along um, to be, is, they're moving in along in a way that they can expect, um, they can start using their TEP um, and their voice prosthesis to start speaking. And, um, you know, sometimes that works right away and the patient can, can leave the office speaking with their prosthetic for the first time. Um, it does take a little bit of work, so we might have to see them on a weekly basis. 
for a while um, to just, again, teach them how to use their supplies or different techniques with their breath support. Um, but, you know, we the more established they become and more confident and comfortable they get with their communication and their swallowing, um, those appointments get to spread out a little bit more and more. So, Kristen, you know, we we certainly know at Cancer Support Community that, that cancer does not just affect the patient. It affects the whole family. It affects mm-hmm. people's relationships. We've got a couple minutes here till our next break. Um, but tell us, um, w- what's the impact that you see on the caregiver? I'm sure caregivers are probably part of these meetings and appointments with you in some cases. Yeah. Um, does your work extend to educating and supporting the caregivers? And I imagine you're looking them in the eye maybe as much as uh, the patient through this process. Yes, no, it's 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 absolutely uh crucial uh, caregiver support is crucial um with our education and what we do with patients. Um these are the people who are spending the most time with the patient. They might be helping them with using these different devices and supplies to getting them back to uh, as normal function as possible. Um but to- a lot of these patients, it's hard to see a loved one go through something so so devastating, um, and they want to just see them get back to the way they were. Um, so we we do make sure that they feel comfortable with what they need to do as far as the care, but that they feel supported even emotionally. Um, and again, I can't speak enough about the importance of maybe having some kind of support group or having another uh, family or someone who's also gone through it because they they can speak to it differently than I can, right? They, they live it every day too. So I think knowing that there's other people out there um, who've gone through something similar uh, can really get people through this time. Most definitely. And then, of course, um, you know, as, as Terry mentioned, the importance of connecting with others, like you said, who are having the same experience, finding support groups, finding things in your community where you can engage and talk to others who have had the um, the same or a, or a similar experience. We've got a break coming up here. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about laryngeal cancer today, which is cancer of the larynx. Um, we've, we're having a really interesting um, and really enlightening conversation about what can really be a very challenging and complex cancer on many, many levels. We've got more to discuss with our guests. We're going to take a quick break here, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and today's episode is brought to you by Bristol-Myers Squibb. We've been talking today about laryngeal cancer, cancer of the larynx, one of the five types of head and neck cancer. Helping get a full understanding of this difficult diagnosis are uh, Dr. Michael Moore, speech pathologist 
speech pathologist Kristen Beadle and cancer survivor Terry O'Brien. It's hard for me to believe that, that we've come to almost to the end of the show because I have so much I want to uh, talk about, so much more to discuss with uh, with you guys, and you're really helping us do a deep dive on this cancer, and I really do um, uh, appreciate it, but I want to try to stay focused um, and, as always, try to stay focused on, uh, on our listeners and folks who might be listening in. Uh, maybe they've recently been diagnosed uh, with laryngeal cancer and uh, may have some, some questions for you. So let me start, uh, Dr. Moore, with you. I'd like for each of you, actually, to share um, what you think it's important for a newly diagnosed um, patient uh, with this cancer to know and keep in mind as they, um, as they begin their, uh, their journey. What are the most important things, Dr. Moore, if they're, they're just being diagnosed that they need to think about as they go down this road? Well, I think one of the biggest things is just stay positive. Uh, you know, these can be very curable cancers. Uh, obviously, there's a big impact on, um, you know, the, the daily, uh, day-to-day life. But what I, the big suggestion I usually have to people, and I'm more uh, speaking about people who would require a laryngectomy as part of their treatment, is to talk to a person who's had one. I, I've been very fortunate to have a number of patients in my practice who have been willing, after they've gone through the whole process, to be a sounding board for somebody who's going through these difficult decisions. And, you know, I can go through all the diagrams and the statistics and, you know, pictures, but in reality, uh, and uh, to have them actually be able to speak to somebody who's been through it, to see that there is life on the other side of this treatment, it can be a very high-quality life, although different. I think is a very important thing. Great, great advice, um, Kristen. Same question. What's your what what what's your advice tips for someone who's just been diagnosed? Um, I, I have to say I feel the same way as Dr. Moore. You know, really trying to maintain uh, a positive attitude, even at times where you feel like you don't have any fight left. You know, to just try and keep pu- pushing through, um, and know that there are people available to support you in any way that you need um, as part of your team. Um, but also having made connections, hopefully, with other patients and other families that can also give you guidance through these times. Um, but yeah, maintaining a positive attitude and knowing that you can get back to the things that you would enjoy, just maybe in a different way. Great, great. And I imagine, Kristen, also important to really get that multidisciplinary team together, making sure that you're getting to the right place and getting the experts and the specialists that you need. Yes, absolutely. You know, we all work together here, and and if, you know, I can't help you, maybe somebody else can, and and just knowing that Mm -hmm. there's a group of people that can really, uh, you know, hone in on what you need specifically um, to meet your needs. And really, we want people to be as successful as possible. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely, yep, yep. Um, Terry, your advice to folks who've just been diagnosed, what would you care to share? Well, when I'm asked that, I say, first of all, it's not a death sentence. There are still options. It's not the end of living. It's a change in living uh, on a personal note. I wish I'd recorded my voice more, like messages mm-hmm. to my young grandchildren or storing up some silly answering machine messages. Uh, on a serious note, you need to find the SLP that knows where Japanese. Do your research on where you're going to get supplies. Go to your hospital, have your caregiver, learn how to use a suction machine, how to do a tube feeding. If you wait, it can be overwhelming. Um, know that there's going to be some tough times during the process, mm-hmm. but know in advance that they pass. Talk to a Larry. I think I've really touched a number of that have uh, wow. called me preoperatively. I'm five years out. I'm playing music. Yeah. I do 100% of the cooking. I host family and friends every week for the Royals and Cheesecakes. Uh, I think how you do it is a state of mind, and it's largely up to the patient. Make that debate. So, so Terry, Terry, you're still out playing music, playing guitar, playing piano. Tell us about that. Absolutely. I'm not going to sing until Darth Vader releases an album, but uh, (laughs) I'm still playing. And 
uh, and the family cook, I understand as well. Tell us, uh, tell us one of your favorite dishes that you like to make for your gang there. Yum. <laughs> you're making me uh, you're making me a little bit hungry there, Terry. That sounds that sounds great. That sounds great and so great that you have the family um around you to support you and that you've connected with others um, you know, who are going through the same thing and um and having uh, you know, a similar uh, a similar experience. Um let me, uh, Dr. Moore, just quickly as we get to the end of the show, um, let me get back to that question for just a quick minute about um, how do folks find the right medical team, the right medical center, the right experts? I imagine this is not a cancer that can necessarily be treated down the street um, at a small, you know, at a small center. Um, how should folks think about ma- making those decisions and finding the right team? I think it's really important uh, to have it be a team that manages head and neck cancer regularly. And, and I usually would recommend that you visit with, not only with the surgeon, but also the radiation and medical oncology team. If it's, if it's a very early disease, you may not have to visit with the medical oncology team, but also to visit with the speech and language pathologist. So they don't have those four disciplines actively involved in the management of your cancer, then it may be a place that's not as frequently uh, treating these sorts of patients, and they may not offer you all the best options that would be available to you. So I think it's really important to have a place that that does it, uh, does it regularly, does it well, and that way you'll be in the best position not only to uh, get rid of your disease, but also to live the highest quality of life on the other side of it. And what about, just lastly, Dr. Moore, what about both um, second opinion and clinical trials? I think it's always, uh, I always encourage patients, unless there's some kind of acute danger like a breathing airway problem or uh, a really advanced tumor that really doesn't have a lot of, um, you know, would have some danger of waiting. Uh, I think, you know, if it's a week or two just to get an additional opinion, I always would support that. Uh, you do want to mm-hmm. feel comfortable with your next step since it's such a big one. Um, but at the same okay. time, uh, you know, I think there are times where, it, it, you know, for issues of, um, you know, severe breathing problems mm-hmm. or other things that mm-hmm. may necessitate getting managed more quickly. But I always think getting in a separate set of eyes and a separate perspective is a good idea. Great. Great. We um, are coming to the end of our show here. I want to thank uh, thank our guests today for sharing uh, with us. This has been very enlightening, I think, certainly for me, and I know for uh, for our many listeners. So we appreciate uh, you sharing that today. I just want to remind folks that the cancer support community. We believe that community is stronger than cancer, and we want to know. We want folks to know that they do not have to face cancer alone. Visit our website at cancersupportcommunity.org to find uh, information about our 50 centers around the country. We also have a helpline. You could call right now and speak to one of our navigators. That number is 888-793-9355. I'm going to say it again. If you're grabbing a pen, 888-793-9355. Reach out to us. We serve people with all cancers, including laryngeal cancer, um, at any stage of uh, of disease, and um, everything we do is free, and the services are available to you and to your loved ones. So give us a call. Uh, This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tebaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.